I read a story that the other day, and this was a story that came out of World War II. You may have heard the story, you may have read the story uh, somewhere, you may have seen the same publication I saw. But as you know, during that era of World War II, the primary way of transporting GIs from coast to coast, base to base, from home to where they were stationed was the trains, and you had the troop trains. And I remember when we were restoring the depot in Marshall that one of the uh, stories that came out of that was several of the people that, that talked about when they would bring the troop trains through and Marshall being a, a large hub there uh, and the terminus for the uh, Texas and Pacific Railroad, that the trains would stop there sometimes for layovers and there were people, that the local people, that would get on the train and would give out coffee and donuts and, and fruit to the troops that were on those trains. And so this was the primary way that you transported troops around the country during World War II was on a troop train. And they'd stop in the town and, and people would get on and, and pass out the donuts and the coffee as a token of appreciation and gratitude. Well, I was reading this story, and it seems that on this particular train, a young soldier and his commanding officer were on their way home. And the only seats available, and this was in one of those trains where the seats in a, in a group of four faced each other. You've seen those. And the only seats available for this young soldier and his commanding officer were across from a really pretty, drop-dead gorgeous girl and her grandmother. And they rode along and they made small talk. Well, where have you been stationed? Where are you going? Where are you all from? And all that, as folks often do. Well, the train was making its way through the Rocky Mountains in the western United States. And as they entered into a long tunnel and there was no light and it was pitch black dark in that train, there was suddenly the sound of a kiss that broke the silence. And followed by the sound of a kiss was a hard slap to the face. Coming out of the tunnel, the commanding officer, the young soldier, the beautiful young woman and her grandmother, all are absorbed with their own thoughts. Grandmother's thinking, how dare that fresh young soldier kiss my granddaughter I'm glad she slapped him. He deserved it. The commanding officer, an older man's thinking, I don't blame the kid for kissing the girl, but she messed up and slapped me instead of him. The beautiful young girl is thinking, Wow, that was a great kiss. I'm just sorry grandmother slapped him. The young soldier is smiling to himself. He had seized the moment and made the most of his opportunity. He figured out a way to kiss a pretty girl and slap his commanding officer all at the same time. Now, there's one thing that strikes home to me from that story. That young soldier knew how to seize opportunity when opportunity came knocking. Folks, in that same way, you and I have to seize opportunities that come our way. 
opportunities that we have to fulfill our purpose in life. And the great tragedy of life is that oftentimes we get caught up and mired in the details of everyday living. And getting mired in the details of going to work and cooking dinner and doing laundry and fixing the fence and mowing the yard and and doing all the myriad of things that we do as a part of life. Doing that, often we just don't have time to seize the moment. We have deadlines and we have commitments and we're faced with problems and priorities and distractions and obstacles of every kind you can imagine. And all of us want and search for and seek more fulfillment in our day. And it just doesn't seem to be within our grasp. I don't think there's any of us that want to be just average. At least we're not willing to admit that we want to just be average. I mean, after all, what's average? You put your head in a 400 degree oven, your feet in a bucket of ice, and you say, on the average, I'm comfortable. We want to be a little above average, all of us do. We want to have a life that's full, and a life that's prosperous, and a life that's fulfilling. The more I read and study my Bible, and the longer I live, the more convinced I am that the Apostle Paul was a man that wanted to live life to the fullest. In the third chapter of his letter to the church at Philippi, a church that was near and dear to his heart, Paul describes his own philosophy of life. And if we could learn to follow Paul's example then we can make the most of every day the Lord gives us. We can make the most of every opportunity we have to live life to the fullest, no matter how hectic and rushed life might seem at times. I want us to look at our text. It's somewhat longer than normal, but it's in Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading there with verse 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Paul's doing something there that David does in Psalms 42. Paul shows us the way to a more fulfilling life. If our life is going to be more fulfilling, we have to find our purpose. Now, if I went around the room this morning, and I'm not going to, so you can relax. But if I went around the room this morning and I said, what's your purpose in life? What would your answer be? Be a good wife or a good husband. Be a good mother or a good father. Be able to do my job better. Be a good secretary, a, a good teacher, a good salesperson, a good nurse, a good whatever it is that I do. And those would all be good answers. And those would all be noble purposes. But folks, those are all secondary purposes. The question is, what is your primary purpose in life? What is my primary purpose in life? Or put it another way, what is my reason for living? Everything in creation has a primary purpose. Everything has a reason for its existence. And for anything or anyone to be successful... It must fulfill that purpose. For example, what is the purpose of an ink pen? And you're saying, dummy. The purpose of an ink pen is to write. Okay, on my desk, in a pen holder, I have a very beautiful, Gold-filled fountain pen that my mother gave me for Christmas about 20 years ago. But the tip is broken. And since the tip of that fountain pen is broken, the pen does not write. So as a pen, it is a failure. It's pretty to look at. It has a great deal of sentimental value because my mother gave it to me. But as a pen, it is absolutely useless because it's not fulfilling its purpose. So what do I do if I need to endorse my paycheck, which I need so desperately to take to the bank to make all of my creditors happy, and I need to endorse this check, and this pen on my desk does not work? I bypass the beautiful gold pen and use a 79-cent Pentel ballpoint pen that writes. Now, they might, that might seem like a simple illustration. And it probably is because I'm a simple person. But just as a pen has a primary purpose, 
Every individual that God has created has a primary purpose. And our lives are going to be without meaning. And we're going to be failures if we don't find out what that purpose is. We've got to find our reason for living. Well, the first thing we have to do is what Paul says in verse 13. And that is we've got to forget the past. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind. We've got to forget all the bad things in the past. Just like every one of us in this room, Paul had a past to forget. Paul had murdered and Paul had tortured a lot of innocent people. Paul had caused a lot of pain and Paul had done a lot of damage to the cause of Jesus Christ. And now Paul is faced with a choice. Paul can dwell on the mistakes of his past. He can dwell on all the things he's done wrong and ruin his life and ruin his chance for an effective ministry. Or he can forget those things in the past and move on with his life. Just like Paul had to make a choice, we have to make choices. Maybe you've had a bad experience lately. Or maybe you did something a long time ago that haunts you and you still regret. Memories of it come back and haunt you and it keeps you from living a full life. Here's a news flash. A lot of folks have messed up in the past. You're not in a class by yourself. And it takes a long time to call the roll. It's happened. Now here's a revelation for you. The news flash is that a lot of folks have messed up in the past. Here's the revelation. It's over. It's done. It's gone. And it can't hurt you anymore. And whatever it was, there's nothing that you can do to change it. The only thing to do is forget it and move on. Here's what Paul said. Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching for the things that are before. Or here's another passage from the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. That's what God said. And here's what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 31 verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying... Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, listen to it, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's what God said. But in forgetting the past, we have to not only forget the bad, sometimes we have to forget the good. Because you see, some folks, 
always are looking back and, and they hone in on one part of their life that was a good period and it was like a golden era in their life. It might have been a time in high school or a time in college or when they were first married or when the kids were young or, or whatever it was. But we can't hone in on that one good time. We've got to forget the bad that's in the past. We've got to forget the good that's in the past. Paul didn't say forgetting the bad things in the past and remembering the good. He didn't say forgetting the good things in the past and remembering the bad. He said forgetting those things which are behind. That's all inclusive. It's everything. Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before, Paul said. Sometimes churches have that same temptation to give in to remembering those good things. And you hear folks say, well, oh, don't you remember how great it used to be when the crowds were so much larger? Don't you remember how wonderful it was when brother and sister Do-Gooder worshipped here with us? Oh, I miss seeing them. I sure wish they were here. Wish they'd come back. Do you remember those beautiful prayers brother so-and-so offered all the time when he'd pray publicly? Oh, and I do miss Sister Melody, how that woman could sing. And you remember? You remember when old brother so-and-so was preaching? Now, folks, that was preaching. That wasn't the kind of dribble we listen to now. Folks, Paul knew something. Paul knew that a good past was not enough to guarantee a meaningful future. Look back over at Philippians 3. Look at verses 4 through 7. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But listen to what he says. He's talked about all those wonderful things. He was a Hebrew's Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. He was on the fast track to being somebody important in the Jewish religion. He said, those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Those things I used to think were so important, Paul says, I count them loss for Christ. He says, I count them as nothing but dumb. Here's what Paul is saying in a nutshell. I will not live in the past. My reason for living, he said, is to be like Jesus. And whatever happened yesterday, good or bad, is now ancient history. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ today. You see, what we must do is we must allow God to be the leader in our lives. In verse 12, Paul said, I follow after. 
That means He follows after Jesus. That means He's going to let Jesus be His guide. Most of you know about me and my taste in music. That I dearly love big band music. Glenn Miller. Tommy Dorsey. I'd even watch the Lawrence Welk reruns on TV if Norma would let me have the remote control. In fact, I love watching the Glenn Miller story. You ever seen it? Stars June Allison and Jimmy Stewart. I have seen that movie I don't know how many times. I can quote you parts of the dialogue. I've seen that movie enough, I know what's coming. I know what's happening. I know what the next scene is going to be. And I still get misty-eyed watching the movie. If they remade the Jimmy Stewart story today, you know what they would call it? They'd call it a chick flick. And you know what I'd do? I'd still watch it. It's a great movie. Well, as I was pondering this text, I was, believe it or not, listening to some big band music. It soothed the soul. And it brought to my mind the idea of guidance. You ever watch the old Lawrence Welk show? And a one, and a two, and, a, and the band would start. Every great band has to have a leader. And for the band to stay together, they've got to have the leader. They've got to have a guide, someone they follow. Folks, in that same way in my life and in your life, we've got to have a leader. We've got to have God who says, and a one and a two, and we follow after God. God is the leader of our lives. We've got to let go of self. And we've got to let God be the leader in our lives and face the present, face today. Sometimes it's so easy to live in the past and it's so easy to dream away the future. And sometimes it's a real challenge to face the present. But we don't have the luxury of saying, well, one of these days I'm going to do something about my temper. One of these days I'm going to do something about my commitment to God. One of these days I'm going to start doing something about my health, eating right and exercising. Matt's always sending me a picture of something he's cooked. He sent me a picture the other night of a hamburger, cheeseburger. had a meat patty on it that was about that thick. You could see bacon hanging off of it. You could see cheese oozing down over it. You could see the fried egg on top. And I looked at that and my mouth starts watering. So I sent Matt a picture of my supper. A piece of chicken that had been steamed in the oven with asparagus. A generous serving of quinoa. It's some kind of a grain. 
It's, it's good for you, but oh, it's nasty. And steamed vegetables. And he texted me back and he said, why did you bother? I said, well, I've got to go see the doctor next month. Well, we've got to live in the present. We can't say, well, I'm going to do something about my health one of these days. I'm going to do something about eating right one of these days. We've got to do it now. I think all of us are familiar with the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus is sick. And so Martha immediately grabs the telephone and she calls 911 because her brother Lazarus is... No, she didn't. She did something better than dialing 911. She sent for Jesus. But it was four days before Jesus got there. And Lazarus was already dead. And, and Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, he's going to rise again. And Martha misunderstood. She thought Jesus was talking about the resurrection. But they went to the graveside. And... Martha said, Lord, he's been dead four days. He stinks. And Jesus went to the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And this man, Lazarus, that's been dead for four days, comes out of the grave. He's still bound with the grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. He brought that dead man, Lazarus, back to life. We believe this. We believe that Jesus Christ has done many miracles in the past. I believe something else. Just as He told those apostles in John 14, He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I believe Jesus is preparing me a mansion in heaven. And He's going to come back and I'm going to get that mansion someday. But you know, we believe Jesus brought Lazarus from the dead. We believe Jesus healed five or fed 5,000. We believe He healed the sick and made the lame to walk. We believe all those miracles of Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is preparing a home for us in heaven. But sometimes we just seem to have so much trouble. It just seems to be so hard for us to believe in the power of Jesus today. The power of Jesus to change lives. The power of Jesus to bless our efforts. The power of Jesus to answer prayer. Facing the present, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we trust Him to be involved in every part of our lives. Facing the present means that we choose to live life as it comes to us day by day. Not in the past, not out yonder in the future, but right here, right now. God does not. God does not want us to waste away our lives living among the what-ifs. God wants us to seize the moment, kiss the girl, and slap the commanding officer all at the same time. He wants us to live every day of our lives with a purpose. And that purpose is to live within the will of God 
and to live His kind of life. Are you doing that this morning? Are you living within the will of God? Are you living God's kind of life? Or do you need to make changes? Maybe you've never put the Lord on in baptism and you need to do that. Or maybe you've done that but you haven't lived for the Lord and you need to make changes. Now's the opportunity to make those changes and live God's kind of life because it's the Lord's invitation as we stand and while we